News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Remember, you can get the podcast, WBT.com, and uh, the email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. The phone number is 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. So the Charlotte metro area, total population of about 2.7 million people now. Raleigh is behind us, as they should be. Total of 1.4 million, so uh, they're ranked number 10. More than 73% of U.S. counties, that's in growth, by the way, um, more than 73% of U.S. counties experienced what's known as natural decrease last year, according to the Charlotte Observer story by Gordon Rago, 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 Rago. Anyway, um, according to the U.S. Census, this occurs when there are more deaths than there are births. This is the natural decrease, more deaths than births. 73% of U.S. counties saw that, more deaths than births. Um, In North Carolina, 84 counties had more deaths than births. So 84 out of 100. This means that the state's population growth over this period was entirely due to more people moving into the state than moving away. But Mecklenburg County was among 16 counties that saw the opposite trend, more births than deaths. The trend was found in major metro areas or counties tied to the military. 73 North Carolina counties grew in the 15 months following the census. The fastest growing were actually down at the coast or they were uh, over in the Triangle area. So Brunswick, Currituck, Johnston, Camden, Franklin, Pender counties. Others that had high growth, Dare County, Carteret, New Hanover. Suburbs around Mecklenburg like Lincoln, Iredale, Cabarrus, Union, Gaston. Triangle suburbs like Chatham and Harnett and Granville. Then you got Moore and Hoke and Lee counties. And then you got a bunch of counties way out west. Clay County, Macon County. Clay County where they dropped the possum or used to do the possum drop every New Year's Eve. You aware of that story? You've heard this, right? Yeah, in a complete ripoff of the celebration in Mount Olive where they dropped the pickle. Obviously. (laughs) They, uh... (laughs) No, the, they had a. They would catch a possum. They would not kill it. They would catch a possum or an opossum, and they would feed it for a couple days, give it this life of luxury, and then they would put them in a glass or plexiglass cage, a box, and then they would attach that to a crane, and they would hoist this thing up and hold it up over the crowd, and then on New Year's Eve, they do the countdown, and they lower the possum, and then they shoot a whole bunch of fireworks in the general direction of the caged possum. This got the PETA people very, very upset. And they sued. And Tom Tillis was the Speaker of the House at the time. That's why he still has, I think, in one of his, uh, yeah, I think he's the one. He's got like a, a stuffed possum that he's got on the back of his uh, 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 his live shots when he does Zoom interviews and the like. You can see this stuffed possum because he, they, they remember they went and they got legislation passed to carve out an exemption for Clay's Corner, this tiny little shop. It's like a convenience store in Clay County, and they that's where they did this event every year, and they carved out some exemption for the one week 
out of the year where the animal welfare rules do not apply <laughs> to, I think, maybe that specific breed or something. And anyway, PETA got very upset at that. And so they sued and they won. And yeah, the judge was like, you don't get to carve out an exemption to the law in one geographical location for one week. That's so what? So I could just like round up a bunch of opossums and bring them to this one location and just like murder them all for a week or something. So, yeah, they I think they they're now doing a stuffed possum. I think that's the deal. Anyway. Clay County, Macon County, Cherokee, and uh, Yancey, and Madison, and Polk. So those are the counties. Those are the counties that had growth that was above the state rate. So Mecklenburg has a bunch of these counties surrounding us, and they're seeing the growth. Now, full disclosure, we're still in Mecklenburg County. We bought our house. We got, I almost got out. I got as basically as far out as you can get without, without actually leaving. Um. Net out-migration. This is a problem. More people leaving than coming in. The data suggests a potential pandemic migration to suburbs, or exurbs as they uh, call the areas around them, uh, as well as to coastal and mountain counties, but we're going to need more years of data to understand how much these patterns persist. Both Mecklenburg and Durham had large estimated inflows of international migrants, but even larger outflows of individuals leaving for other counties and states. And what it seems like to me, at least, is that the people who are in Mecklenburg are moving to the surrounding counties. Because we don't need... We, look, there are definite benefits. I tell you this, and I, when people ask, oh, are you happy to be back you know, in Charlotte? And I, I absolutely am. We, we love being up in the mountains, and we love the people that we uh, knew up there and our friends and fans we we love being there but it's so difficult to earn a living up there Asheville is the size of Rock Hill population wise it's about the size of Rock Hill but there's no Charlotte next door to it so the opportunities are not as great they're just not there and um i suspect you've got a lot of people that it's not i suspect i know People move out to the mountains, and the running joke out there was, uh, yeah, come to Asheville, but bring your own job. And there are a lot of people that are able to do that, and they are obviously able to work from home. They get paid very well, and so they can make that move. But you got a lot of people that are from there that now can't afford to stay. Land rich, cash poor. North Carolina ranks number four in attracting new residents since the start of COVID. So every single day, there are about 261 people that come to North Carolina. Every day, 261 new people. That according to Tony Messia at the Charlotte Ledger. That is a quicker pace than in the previous decade. County estimates not yet available when he wrote this earlier. Um, In the last decade, Mecklenburg has had about one-fifth of the state's population growth. Florida, Texas, Arizona. South Carolina, they, uh, those are the only states that attracted more people since 2020. Florida, Texas, Arizona, South Carolina, and then North Carolina. The South was the only region of the country to add people from migration. Midwest, West, Northeast, all had a net exodus. 
So it's pretty clear why people are coming. It's sweet tea and air conditioning, people. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let me jump over here to Bob. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the show. What's up? Good afternoon. Hey. I want to say the future is here. Uh, I haven't been to the city of Charlotte in 12 years, even though I live in Charlotte. Uh, Matthews is 50 feet away from me. Mm-hmm. Everything I want is out here. Well, now it is. Matthews with 12 restaurants where you can get charcuterie, barbecue, you name it, it's there. Right. Well, now it is. But it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, th- there's oh, been a lot of revitalization downtown Matthews. So 20, 25 years. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, even since then, I remember when the Matthews you know, Live festivals were going on. And right. that was the whole point was to get people to go to downtowns. And that model's been followed in a lot of uh, downtown areas. But your yeah, point is a, the same, right? A, like you A lot can, of us just don't go to Charlotte anymore. There's just nothing there that we need to have that right. we can't get here. Yeah. No, so I hear you. It's here. Yeah. And there's the same sentiment. I, I live... Closer to Belmont. That's where I go. Yeah, well, I'm like 50 feet from Matthews. I yeah, well, I can't be 50 feet from... We all can't be 50 feet from the you know beautiful little downtowns like that. But no, it's a, it's a great point. And you have... Thanks, Bob, for the call. I appreciate it. You've got, um, you've got these pockets, these little village uh, town centers, basically, these, these, these towns. And they're all... You know, we've got, what, the six, quote-unquote, small towns around Charlotte. And they're not small towns. They're cities. Sister cities. Right? The Mecklenburg cities. And increasingly, people are not going to need to travel into uh, parts of Charlotte because they're going to have what they need much closer to where they are. Valentine's another example of it, right? And, and that's fine. See, one of the things, when I talk about growth and development issues and we go over some of this stuff, I approach it much like I talk about economic data and news, which is, it's complex. There are different angles, and I'm not going to come on and say this is a piece of information and this is good news or this is bad news because usually stuff is a mixed bag. A lot of this stuff is a mixed bag. On the one, like it's like a homeowners association. You know, on the one hand, I don't like the fact that they tell me I can't have a fence or can't have that kind of fence that I want. But on the other hand, I kind of like the fact. That my neighbor can't have the ridiculous fence that they were going to put up, something like that. Or I I like the fact that I don't have to worry about those types of code enforcement issues, right? There are trade-offs. And if you don't want the trade-off of a homeowner or neighborhood association, then you don't live in one of those. Just choose a place that doesn't have one. And there are places like that. That was my first house. I bought a house off of uh, Eastway Drive. And fix that place up. They did not have a homeowners association. And, man, I went through there, uh, gosh, what was it like? Probably six months ago? Not even. Three months ago. Drove through there. Went by the old house. That The old house, they painted it gray. But other than that, it was same house. But, like, everything around that house has been blown up. And now they got, what do they call them? Duets. It's not a duplex. <laughs> Don't call that a duplex. It's a duet way more expensive than a duplex <laughs> so you get a new name here's a tweet from app patriot girl who says uh we won't go uptown to restaurants or anything except a baseball game which that is that's a great point J- going to the ball games in uptown what a great backdrop i always love that i love the field I love the charlotte knights love the stadium i do it's like it, 
It's so cool. And it's minor league baseball. So they're all still, you know, fighting to get to the show. So anyway, I digress. Uh, we won't go uptown to restaurants or anything except a baseball game because you can't walk two feet without somebody asking you for money. The beggars and homeless are a serious issue. I don't feel safe in uptown at all. Which, by the way, this was precisely the thing that uh, city leaders were warned about when they built the uptown arena. When we had the big arena fight 20 years ago, 23 years ago. Yeah. George Shin and then George Shin and Ray Woldridge, the owners of the Charlotte Hornets at the time, before they became the New Orleans Hornets, and then and then we got the team name back after Bob Johnson named the team after himself in Charlotte, whatever. Back then, there was a big arena. It was on Tyvola Road, and it was fairly new, but it didn't have the skyboxes, the luxury suites and all of that. And so they said, you're going to give us a new arena, uh, you're going to pay for it, or we're going to move the team. And so they put it up for a referendum, and the voters voted it down. And they took the team and moved to New Orleans. And then the city council built a new arena for Bob Johnson. Yeah, in order to attract another NBA franchise here. And they called it the Bobcats. And then, of course... We got the name Hornets back, and that I guess that's a good thing. But voters did not want that arena, and one of the criticisms of that plan when they put it in Uptown was that people are not going to feel safe going to the arena, parking in decks, walking all around the town. All that, oh, nonsense. We're going to have decks right nearby. We're going to have law enforcement and all this. Of course, fast forward, you know, 20 years, and I'm not, I'm not sure all of those assurances carry the same credibility anymore, you know? For a variety of reasons. Supreme Court ruling on panhandling for one, but defund the police movement for another. Protests and riots. All of these things. Like, things change. Pros and cons, these things change, right? Nothing stays the same. There's only what the only constant thing is change, right? And that's how I view city growth and development issues. Pros and cons, good and bad. But I do wonder. If some folks in the center city area may be, you know, maybe a little worried <laughs> with the COVID, uh, uh, the, the people not wanting to to go into center city anymore after COVID. They want to live farther away. They want to work from home. I do wonder. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. So what if the cost of living in a city has now, what if it starts outweighing the benefits? Costs outweigh the benefits. You know, as I always say, is the juice worth the squeeze? Zaid Jelani writing at Inquire, it's his Substack newsletter. He says, in the United States and across the world, people have spent the past century migrating to cities. Why? To seek Better economic opportunities. Central America, for instance, has one of the highest urbanization rates, a consequence of people moving out of economically deprived rural areas into cities where jobs are more plentiful. But here in the U.S., the price tag associated with living in a city has been skyrocketing. He takes a look at Austin, Texas, as the example. Went from a relatively affordable, mid-sized Texas city to what is soon to expected to be 
the most unaffordable housing market outside of California. And that's because California is all moving to Austin. But like that's the that's the trajectory for Austin. Of course, city living has typically been more expensive than the alternative. But superior job prospects and higher salaries are supposed to make up for the increase in the cost of living. That's always been the trade-off. But what happens when that is no longer the case? A trio of researchers, including UC Berkeley economist David Card, recently looked uh, for the, uh, uh, the impact of location on earnings for a working paper they put out through the U.S. Census Bureau's Center for Economic Studies. And their finding is that the higher wages people receive in larger cities are not enough to compensate for the higher cost of housing there. That's a problem. <laughs> that is a problem. Because now there's not really a reason to be there, right? Winston. I'll go over here to uh, Winston. Hello, Winston. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. good. Hey, uh, talking about the declining birth rate. Well, you know, we have uh, one of the it's multifaceted. You know, all the chemicals in the air and so forth. We have the cultural issue where we're over sexualized. Where we have at our fingertips the ability to, you know, whoa, 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 put up the hang pornography. On. Hang, hang on, Winston. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. Your first thing was chemicals in the air. What are you talking about? Chemicals well, in the air, environmental, uh, you know, pollution and uh, uh, the fluoride in the water. You People think that, that that's part of it? You, you think pollute? Wait, in the chemtrails. You know, it, but did you just say chemtrails? Yeah, well, the geoengineering. The so you're saying that that's why we have lower birth rates? Injection. You say that's you. You believe that's why we have a declining fertility rates? Well. It's multifaceted. I, I understand that, but I'm asking because you made the you made the assertion. So I'm asking if you believe that there's like you said chemtrails as well. And so I'm thinking that that's an indication that there's some intentional effort to spread some kind of pollutant or chemical that makes people either not have sex or not be able to have babies. Is that did I, did I do I get that correctly? Well. There is, they've tested the atmospheric uh, and uh, aluminum, strontium, and barium. But let me get to my point. You know, we basically over men. You know, men had to wear the man purse. And, you know, what? when I was a little kid, when I was four years when, old. When, I when did I have to wear a man purse? Let me finish, Pete. Hey, Winston, I'd let you finish if you had a point that was somewhat logical, man. Because you're all over the place here. Well, I could play multiple uh, in a multiple uh, basis. You started off, hang on, but Winston, you started off with chemtrails and pollutants, and then when I asked you to clarify that and to make whatever, to make the assertion clear, you then want to pivot to something else. You then said something about how we're all forced to wear man purses. I've never been forced to wear a man purse. What are you talking about? You know what's interesting? Have you ever seen that AT&T commercial where the guy goes in there with his girlfriend, they had the blue the blue striped shirts, and the guy's, you know, he's got his, his football team, and oh, and, and he said, this is like a sissy. You know, we're the men. The men. We're the men. You know, my father, a lot of the old school uh, husbands, they used to have big families, you know, eight, nine children. I come from a family of seven seven children you know now we've got you know 
And look at your look what you're advertising. You're advertising twenty four seven boner drugs mm-hmm. on your station. Mm-hmm. And you know, just and so how does that, so so Winston? How does the how does the ED products? How does that tie into the whole thing that you want there to be more families, more kids? It seems like that would be in line with what you're advocating, doesn't it? I don't know. This is I what I mean. You don't know. Win- no, Winston, that is very clear. That's the first, Winston, that is like the first correct thing that I would agree with you on so far in your call. Hey, let me take one point. You know that you know, No. No, you're not going to get to make one last point. You had six minutes to make your, or no, you had, yeah, you had uh, four minutes to make your point. And you didn't. That was a, that was a failure to launch on that one, man. <laughs> Sorry. Seriously, I'm sorry, but uh, you started off with the pollutants, then you went to the man purses, and then you criticized the station because they're adverti- we're advertising for products that will do the thing that you say you want done, but that's somehow bad or something. So, no, there. if you had all that time to make a point, you couldn't get there. So I'm not going to waste any more time on that. Um the finding is that the higher wages people receive in larger cities is not enough to compensate for the higher cost of housing. And that's always been one of the key reasons why people would move to the city. You get more opportunity. Yes, it's higher cost, but you make more money. But now if you can't even afford to be in the city, what's the point of leaving one of the surrounding counties? Like to, was it Bob's earlier point that, he lives near Matthews, and he doesn't ever have to leave. Everything is there now, which, again, that is a new development. And look, Matthews benefited, as did all of the surrounding areas. They benefit from the growth that Charlotte drove, right? The problem is now it's pretty expensive. They built a bunch of amenities, and uh, I don't know. People don't want to live in Uptown anymore, especially after the COVID lockdowns and such. The finding calls into question what the conventional wisdom that has driven people to migrate to cities in search of a better economic future, right? Housing costs in America's big cities have now ballooned to such an extent that many workers would actually be better off just avoiding the cities altogether, even if they were able to find high-working pay there. The juice is not worth the squeeze. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. You have opportunities to make your points. If you squander those opportunities right out of the gate, you don't get to demand more time to make the point you initially wanted to make. See how it works. I feel like I don't have to. Do I need to explain this? Maybe I do. So as Limbaugh taught... The purpose of the caller is to make the host look good. So, first off, calling in and attacking the radio station that is providing you the content that you're listening to. Like, I'm not so sure that's a great idea, but I digress. Um, you got the, the, the phone number. You call in and you say, I have this comment to make. And then the call screener says, okay, good comment. I'll put you on hold. And then the host takes the call and says, what's your comment? And if you start making different comments that are kind of crazy. I'm not just going to let you 
run wild and make all sorts of comments, I'm going to ask you some follow-up questions. So that's just a little something about me. I guess we're getting to know each other. I've only been here, well, counting the previous stint, you know, 13 years. But you're getting to know me, and uh, that's, you know, it's part of the learning process. So if you you don't get to just offer up a premise upon which you will build another argument and have that premise be crazy. Okay. That's <laughs> so, because I'm not clear, like on the one hand, it sounded like you were saying uh, that the caller Winston was saying that uh, essentially it's the salt Peter in the mashed potatoes, right? Like that's the, the, they're, they're putting all this stuff in the air and the pollutants and the chemtrails. And that's to keep people from having all the relations and then having the babies. And that was the reason. And then it also had something to do with the, Man, be, men being men, and that's, you know, in my day, we had 70,000 children, and that's the test of virility and all that. And then he attacked the radio station for advertising products to do that thing that he said is the proof of the virility, but also is targeted at his demographic. So I'm, <laughs> I'm a little unclear. So, yeah, if you had a point, I'm sorry you didn't get it to make it, but you you made a lot of other different points along the way that I felt I was required to try to flesh out. Uh, Michael says, could you ask Winston how he can wrap tinfoil so tightly? I don't know. It's, it is a gift. Some people have the gift. Taylor says, hilarious phone call. Uh, yes, it was. Very entertaining. Um, doo, doo, doo. Oh, yes, in my backyard. Michael Hendricks, the director of state and local policy at the Manhattan Institute, he's writing over at Persuasion. A uh, website, Substack uh, newsletter. He says America is in a housing crisis. Home prices today are 41% higher than uh, the peak of the housing bubble in 2006, while median incomes rose just 8.8%. So ha- home prices 41% higher than in 06, but incomes just 9% higher. The once affordable Charlotte, Dallas, Denver, and even Cleveland. (gasps) God, put us in the same category as Cleveland. To be fair, I mean, our river, you know, never caught fire. I mean, I I feel like that's worth mentioning here when you put us in any category with Cleveland. We did not have our river catch fire at any point. Not that I'm aware of. Okay. We are now joining the pricier coastal cities of Boston, home of the worst accent ever. And Seattle, home of some of the worst people, in record home prices, home price rises over the past year. Just 3% of homes sold nationally this August went for less than $200,000. That's the one's typical price of a starter home. Pro-housing advocates argue that home prices are artificially high because the supply of homes is dangerously low thanks to red tape and costly bureaucracy. Less supply, rising demand equals... That's right, higher prices, it's Econ 101. And indeed, America is nearly 4 million homes short of demand. Zoning rules carve up cities and towns with top-down dictates on what property owners can do with their land. Mandates for single-family homes on enormous lots, lots of required parking, blah, blah, blah. It is illegal. On 75% of the residential land in a lot of American cities, 75%, it is illegal to build anything other than a detached single-family home. 
Worse yet, any American who wants a new home has got to run a gauntlet of time-sucking permits and public meetings where only the outraged neighbors care to show up. Unsurprisingly, a new Manhattan Institute Echelon Insights poll shows people are fed up with the high cost of shelter and they want more affordable choices in homes. This outranks COVID-19, public safety, taxes, education, and jobs as their top local concern. The price of housing used to march in lockstep with the cost of construction, which seems pretty logical and obvious, right? Cost of construction, price of the house. You pay more, you get a better house, right? But starting in the 70s, right about coincidentally the time that zoning began spreading nationwide, the two prices diverged. Home prices soaring, building costs remaining stable. That gap is like a zoning tax. It falls hardest on the poorest Americans. It raises the price of entry to cities with the most jobs and opportunity. Mortgages have basically become tuition for public schools, too. He goes on to say, Michael Hendricks does, new housing faces enormous pushback. You hear two main arguments in defense of zoning, right? Neighbors want control over the pace of change in their neighborhood, and they want some way to get newcomers to pay for the costs they bring when they move in, whether it's more traffic or crowded classrooms. What sort of change do neighbors want to regulate? Well, the kind that destroys the character of their neighborhood. For one thing, like when Miami's Harlem of the South was bulldozed for a highway. Or when a poor community is swamped with newer, wealthier residents. They call it gentrification. More fundamentally, people just sort of, you know, like the place that they bought into. And they don't want it to change. That's it. So calls to regulate change, though, usually are shorthand for keeping neighborhoods frozen in time. This is why I said earlier, right? The one constant is change. What's the Avid Brothers song? Head Full of Doubt, I think, is the where they they show the, the city that gets built up, a little cartoon, you know, like from the field, city gets built, and then it falls into disrepair and goes away, right? That's that's life. It's the cycle of life. Anyway, that's it for my show. I, I'm not going to come back and do another hour. Brett Winterville standing right outside the door. He's totally got you covered. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. See you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Thank <laughs> you.